we're going to talk a little bit more about some of the, the disciplines that are needed to, to run this race. And life is a race. We live it for the Lord. Uh, we live it with all of our hearts. Good to have you here, young man. It's great to see you. Uh, to run this thing, uh, we're not running it as also rans. We aren't living this life just to have a participation certificate. Uh, we're we're running to win. I am. I mean, I don't. I don't want. I don't want to miss out on the assignments that God's given me, the opportunities He's given me uh, to share His love and His devotion uh, for us with other people. You know, I I just thank God for every encounter that I have anymore with people and have that opportunity to be a light and to share a witness with people. Because, you know, if you're worried about what people are going to think about you, uh, I'm just going to say this to put you at ease. Uh, there are people who love you, people who like you, people don't even know you exist, and uh, people that uh, might not like you. And that's okay. How many know not everybody's going to like us? And if you live for the Lord, you can be sure uh, that's going to be true in some cases. But we love them anyhow. It's an opportunity to do what Jesus said, to love our enemies, to bless those who curse us. And so, you know, why, why would we look at that as a, as a terrible thing that we've had a, we have an opportunity to do what Jesus said? And if he didn't think people were going to hate us and, and despise us, he wouldn't have told us to pray for them and to bless them. Because uh, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't have had to give us that instruction. But he knew that as followers of him that there would be a, a conflict between your faith and the world. And it doesn't mean that we don't love those in the world. God, we cannot, we cannot turn our backs on the people for whom Jesus died. You know, we can't insulate ourselves. And Jesus died for all people of every race, of every ethnicity, of every people group. The Lord Jesus Christ died for all. And uh, as we look in the Word, I want to just say, if you'd like prayer when you come in, you get here a little early or you want to linger, out, linger after, we have those who are here to pray with you. Amy Wasnarski's here. She's right over here. And Pat Lewis is somewhere right back here. And there are others who are willing to, and not only willing, but happy to pray for you. They believe the Lord wants to touch you. And there are others of us who will be certainly willing to pray with you as well. But uh, 1 Corinthians 9, uh, verse 24, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it, and everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty, Thus uh, I fight, not as one who beats the air, uh, but I discipline my body and I bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. So, you know, we've talked about this scripture text and we've kind of looked at it uh, and drawn from what Paul was saying whenever he was speaking about the uh, athletic competitions that were common in his day and the people were aware of, and so he made a parallel between the uh, physical contest and the training that was required in order to not only participate, but to win. And uh, he, he drew a parallel between that and how the church lives its life, how we will live this uh, life of faith, how we, we run for Christ. And you know, God wants you to run well. How many know God doesn't want you just to, to run? He wants you to run well. God, anything you do in Christ, he wants you to do it well. 
He doesn't, you know, mediocrity is halfway up the mountain. God wants to give us what we need to make it the whole way to the top, right? And so it's not just at the crest of the valley we make it to. God wants us to walk through the valley so that we can be a light to those who are there. And in order to do that, we've got to live this thing. And, you know, this morning, I want to encourage you, don't ever tell people, don't look at me because I'm only human. I want you to stop saying that. Because you do want people to examine your life. I mean, if we're not living for Jesus, I can understand why we would say, don't look at me. Uh, But I mean, if Christ is in you, how how many have Christ in you today? God lives inside of you. You know, then you have to be willing and embrace and say, hey, go ahead. You can look at my life. I mean, you don't have to tell people you're not perfect. They'll figure it out pretty quick. You know, and it's not about being perfect because, you know, we're not putting on the ritz and trying to impress people. But if you walk in faith and you walk in life, even with the inconsistencies that we struggle with from time to time, if we're humble and we're gracious to other people, they will afford you grace as well, even if they don't understand it. They will have grace toward you. But if we we try to put on airs and we're hard toward people and we're just this militant, you know, Bible-thumping, over-your-head kind of people without any grace, you see, truth and grace go together. They always have to be part of the presentation. And if you're going to... The the Bible that that people are going to really read are the one that you live. They're going to live your... They're going to read your life. You're a living, written epistle. You're a living epistle known and read by others. You know, God looks at, they look at you and you have to be willing for them to look at you and embrace the opportunity not to lift up self, you know, but to be a light. You know, Jesus said that you are a city that is set upon a hill that can't, can't or shouldn't be hidden. And if you are a city that is set on a hill and you're salt and you're light, Jesus is making you a point of reference for others that they might be able to see him. He said that. He said that you're a city set up on that hill. You're, you're, in the, you're in the darkness of the world and you're set up in a position where others can see the light. You know, Jesus said something, I gotta think of, he said, let, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. That's what Jesus said. Let your light be intentional in sharing your witness, your light. Let your life shine. Let your light speak. It's okay to talk, but make sure that what your life is speaking is consistent with what your mouth is saying. Because that's the one thing. We don't want to oversell anything. We just need to walk it out. We don't, like I say, we don't have to worry about putting on airs. We're not here to impress anybody that way with, with ourselves, but we certainly are here for others to see the Lord. We want them to see him in our lives. And so we got to run this thing well. We're not just participating. We're not an also ran. We have a unique calling. We are part of a, what, what are we part of? A, 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 we're a, a holy nation, right? We're a royal priesthood. We've been, we've been called by God, set apart, called out of the darkness into the light that we can show forth the praises of him who's called us out of that darkness. So we talk about things that help us to, be, uh, to live this life the way God intends us to live it. And we talked about prayer. 
And again, these are not exhaustive. You, you know, you get, you, you get a little bit of time each Sunday to talk about these topics. You go on for weeks. Uh, these are great uh, study items. We talk about fasting. And every one of us needs to, to have that time where we pull away from everything else and devote ourselves to the Lord. And we do it as unto the Lord. Sometimes we have corporate fast and sometimes there's individual fastings. Uh, just as there's corporate prayer and individual prayer. And we talked about the scriptural focus that God wants us to have. You know, we live by the word of God. Jesus said, man shall not live by what? By bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Anything that God has said is not a suggestion, it's a commandment. He's not negotiating it, right? He doesn't negotiate what he's saying until he gets to the place where we can accept it. He speaks it and our lives are meant to be aligned with his word. How many believe the word of God is is the rule of faith and conduct? And if you believe that, that means you are saying that I know that my life needs to be aligned with his word. Otherwise, don't say that you believe that the Bible is the rule of faith and conduct because that doesn't mean anything if it has no bearing upon how we live our lives. But thank God that we're not just given commandments that we will never be able to obey completely. We will falter and we will fail in different ways. I thank God that the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament is that man struggled under the yoke of the law in the Old Testament. And I thank God that Jesus said, I didn't come to abolish the law, but I came to fulfill it. Jesus satisfied the demands of the law and by having him as Lord in our lives, we're we're justified. We are made acceptable to the Lord. And so we're not living under the condemnation of a life that fails to obey the word of God, but we're being transformed. And the great thing is when, you know, we're, we're told in 1 John chapter 2 that we're not to sin. But he says, but, but if you do sin, you have an advocate with the Father. How many know who the advocate is? It's Jesus Christ. And I thank God that Jesus always stands before the bar of judgment on behalf of you and I. And we are covered with his precious blood. You know, one day you're going to either go to heaven or hell. And that sounds pretty hard, right? Heaven or hell, you're not going to limbo. You're not going to purgatory. Because if you can work it off in purgatory, then Jesus' work was incomplete. Jesus' work was perfect and complete. It was finished, and his resurrection sealed the deal. And so you either, you either go one of two ways. And, you know, the important thing to know today is that, uh, you know, uh, when, you, when we stand before the Lord, the only thing that's going to make it okay for us, and it'll make it great for us, is that we are covered by the blood of Christ. You can offer 100,000 excuses or reasons or justifications for being in heaven and God will reject them all. The only thing that's going to get you in is to have Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord and that your life is a witness of that saving experience. Amen? You know that, right? You know, it's not, it, it's not just making a confession with our mouth, but it says, but also to believe in our hearts. And if you believe in your heart, 
then it's going to transform your life. And what takes place internally is going to have an outward witness among other people. Aren't you, aren't you glad for that? The works that you do are now witness of what Christ has done and continues uh, to perform in your heart. So we got to move quickly here. I know you're, I, I, did, I, I almost got out of the house without a coffee today. That's not the anointing, but it sure helps to get your bones moving a little bit. And I like it candy style. I don't drink that stuff. People say, I'm a straight drinker. I'm, a, I'm not a real coffee drinker. I drink creamer. And so I, and, uh, my, my son was at our house yesterday and, and his wife. And, you know, he, I love seeing him, but he annoyed me a little bit because he, he like dumped half of my chocolate creamer in his coffee. I didn't tell him that, but I was thinking about it. And uh, so this morning when we went to go, I said to Rob, and he drank all my, my creamer, my good stuff. Uh, reaching out, this is who we are at Bethel. We reach out, we share home, we seek truth, and we know Jesus. That's our vision statement. I hope you'll get to know it, pray over it, and put it into practice. Every one of our teachers and workers and leaders and ministry, that's what we are. We unite behind a vision, a common shared vision that the Lord has given us. So this morning as we talk about waiting, you know, this is one of those subjects that uh, probably wouldn't make the top 100,000 on your, uh, your favorites list. But I think that sometimes that's because we, we don't think about it rightly. We're not, we don't really see the value of it because we haven't really stopped to think and pray over it and look into the God's Word. And so I want to talk to you today about waiting. Waiting is probably one of the most important things you'll ever do in your life. Waiting upon the Lord. You know, waiting in His presence. You know, uh, some people are, are better at waiting than others. Amen? How many know that from personal experience? How many of you know that because you're sitting, seated beside someone who might, that might be a prayer need in their lives? But I want to tell you, waiting is going to make a, a tremendous difference in what happens today in your life and what happens from here forward. And um, I look in the scriptures, and as I do here this morning, I'd like to make mention of something uh, when I went to Valley Forge many years ago, many, many years ago now, um, there were a group of Korean students who came over uh, to, I don't know if they came specifically to be at the Bible school. I would imagine they did. But there was a, a young lady that would come into the chapel, and if you'd walk in there at any, at any unpredictable time of the day, she was always back in the corner of the room uh, waiting in the presence of the Lord. And, you know, and it was always, I never forgot that because I thought, you know, really, uh, she's mining true gold there. You know, we're all about what we're about, but, you know, she's really mining where it counts. She's really a gleaning from God. And I want to talk to you this morning about waiting. Waiting is a discipline that, that provides for so many benefits. And I'm not just talking about waiting. I'm talking about waiting in the presence of the Lord. Waiting in view of the scriptures that God has given us. Because when, when we wait on the Lord, something's going to happen. You know, it's not unproductive time. And you know, in the middle of the night, I woke up last night, and this, this was raining down upon my spirit, that waiting is not just passive, it's active. 
Waiting is not simply detachment, it is connection. You know, there are so many things about waiting. It's, it's active, and yes, at times it's passive. Lord, I don't know what to say. I'm just going to let you uh, reign over my life, reign into my spirit, pour into my life. But it's active, it's passive, it's a mindset, it's a behavior, it's a prelude, it's a conditioning, it's readiness, it's, it's providing God with a channel that he pours into It's an exodus readiness. You know, people waited for over 400 years to get out of Egypt. So you can imagine when that time came, those who were waiting and actively longing for that deliverance, that that was a glorious day to be visited upon their lives. And when you wait upon something, when God brings it to fruition in your life, there is a sweetness to it. How many of you have ever waited on something? You know, uh, we, you've waited. You know, people, and I'm not, you know, I don't want to be insensitive to anybody. Not yet, anyhow. I, I don't, I, but I think about uh, those who have had miscarriages. And, you know, we've had three in our family. You know, our kids have had those uh, miscarriages. And you know, one had two. And, uh, and I think about that. And those who have gone through that, and they've waited for a child, and they're waiting for a child, and when they, and if that time should come when they have a, a baby that is uh, is healthy, there's such joy, there's such joy that the bitterness and the sorrow of, of the previous experiences doesn't go away per se, but it, it it they serve to sweeten the realization of what has come. You know, when we wait upon the Lord, we're waiting with purpose, we're waiting intentionally, and sometimes we know what we're waiting for, and sometimes we don't know what we're waiting for. God says, just tarry here, wait here. Why, Lord? I got things to do. How many of you have never said that, but maybe you've thought that? When God says, hey, stop and spend some time with me. Hey, Lord, you know, I got things to do today. You know, how many of you believe that God didn't know that you had anything to do before you told him? You know, we're, we, we, we tend to inform God a lot in life. But we would be so much further along if we tarried and we listened. If we tarried and we stopped struggling, stopped hurrying, stopped moving. Sometimes the greatest work that God will do in our lives is what happens, not in a crowd of people, but in that silent moment when revelation is visited, when God speaks into our lives, or or where God just refreshes our spirits. Sometimes we can wait in the presence of the Lord, and we might say, if someone were to say, what did he say to you? And you could say, I don't know, but it was so sweet, it was so good. That, you know, God doesn't always just speak in our language. You know, God moves in the supernatural ways that bring knowledge and understanding and refreshment from things that aren't spoken in my language. How many know that God's not limited to English? Good English or bad English? You know, I come from Western PA, Southwestern, and one of our favorite words is, what are yins doing? I'm a yinzer. You know, that's one of those things. As soon as I hear somebody, they use that word, I know automatically where they're from. They're from the same hick area I'm from. What are yins doing? Where are yins at? 
you know. Uh, so, you know, that's our, you know, it's just the way it is. And it's legal out there to say that. It's uh, Nobody calls it pol- politically un- incorrect. They just don't know what it is. But I know what it is. You know, when you think about this today, God speaks in ways that we don't, he, don't, he doesn't put it into our vocabulary. People say, I heard God say, well, that's great you heard God say something if he spoke it to you in a way that you understood. But you know, sometimes God speaks in ways that don't, don't jive with what we know. You know, we may know, we, we're waiting for God to say it to us in language we understand. And God is so great that God can reveal something to you that doesn't have anything to do with speaking one word that you understand. How many know when you pray in tongues, unless there's an interpreter, you pray and you edify yourself? And, you know, your spirit is, is, is enriched and edified, but your mind doesn't have any clue what you just prayed. How many know? That's why Paul says, unless there's an interpreter, keep it to yourself. All right, 60 you're on board now. Uh, Jesus said, tarry in Jerusalem. How many know that that worked out pretty well? That worked out for the church because when they waited in Jerusalem, when Jesus was ascending and they tarried in Jerusalem, how many know what took place? This is Bible, not trivia. What took place when after they had waited in Jerusalem? They received the Holy Spirit. Come on, church. We don't know that, boy. We need to get back in our doctrinal classes. <laughs> Seriously. If you're on the board and you don't know what happened in that day, you, need to, you might need to resign. Same with the pastor, right? Jesus says, tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. Come on, church, we need some of that power from on high. We've done it our way too long and we've seen the results of that. I want to tell you, you, we can't do church without the Holy Spirit, and you can't live life without the Holy Spirit. He's not an accessory, he's essential. He's not a thing, he's a person, right? How many believe that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity? Yeah, he's not an it or a thing or a feeling. He's not that fuzzy sensation. He may author those things. He may bring the fuzz up on your neck. Remember we had somebody said it wouldn't blow the fuzz off a peach. I, that's the first time I've said that. And I feel like I have grown immensely because I crossed that line. But anyhow, what did, what did God tell Moses to, to let the, tell the people? He says, do not be afraid. Some of you are afraid today and the easiest thing for you to do would be to run. We run. We try to run from everything. We deny it. We, we take flight. But here's what uh, God directed Moses to tell the people. Whenever they were, uh, you know, the, the, the Egyptians were coming and they were up against the Red Sea. I want you to receive this today. Moses said to the people, do not be afraid. Come on, church. Say this for your own benefit and for your neighbors. I will not be afraid. Yeah, maybe you have some tests 
that you're waiting for. Maybe there's something that's, uh, that's out there that just, it's forming a storm coming on the horizon and you can just see the clouds. And you know, the enemy wants you to obsess over that. He wants you to fixate on that. He wants to derail you with fear and me. He wants to do that to us. But I want to tell you, don't run. You can't unrun, I can't outrun the storm clouds. That's not the way we do this. We do what God said to Moses. He said, stand still. Oh, we want these big discourses on so many topics. And yet the simplest one that we often overlook is what it means to wait, to tarry, to tarry in the presence of the Lord. Do not be afraid. Stand still and see what? The salvation of the Lord which he will accomplish for you today. And I like this statement. He says, for the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall not, you shall see again no more forever. You know, God's going to do that kind of thing in your life. He's going to give you that point of deliverance. But if you get all, if we, we get, we're overcoming fear and we do all these, how many know we can do crazy things when we're afraid? I'll tell you just, I don't want to get off too track, but I'll tell you a little story. I hear something that happened. We got these little sticky buzzers that we put on the door. They're adhesive, you know. So when you open the door, it makes this ungodly noise. And you say, what did you get those for? Are you that fearful of your neighbors? No, I'm fearful of my grandkids. And uh, so, you know, we put those up on the door because we, you know, there's six of them now. We spent the day with five yesterday, and they were going in every direction, and it's like pure chaos. You got them running out of doors, you got them running indoors, and we just want to make sure that no one runs out the door without us knowing about it. And so the first day we put them up, you know, we're laying, I'm laying, well, Robin was too, we were laying in bed, and, and I hear this buzzer go off in the middle of the night. Yeah. I said, hey, Robin, did you hear that? What? What? I said, that buzzer went off on the door. I said, somebody's in the house. Yeah, Bigfoot. <laughs> and so I, I, said, I, I said, oh, man, gee whiz, I don't know, well, how am I going to respond? I, don't, I didn't want to have to uh, kill somebody in my house or anything like that. I mean, I would shoot them in the foot. But... Uh, I'm like, God, I said, the door, you know, we always sleep with our door closed because we're paranoid. No, we just like our door closed. And so the door's closed, and we're saying, what, what do we do here? I open that door. Once I go out, if there's somebody out there, uh, it's, it's going to be on. So I don't know what, what we do here. Um, I said, hey, why don't you call the police, see if they'll just ride past the house here casually, shine the spotlight all over the neighborhood. And uh, so... She does, she, she does, and I got my, I got to just be honest, I have a nine millimeter by my bed, and uh, we just shoot off rounds every night just to let the neighbors know, and uh, so uh, I get this thing, and I thought, God, I don't want to kill anybody tonight, uh, I don't really want to kill anybody any night, but that night I didn't want to, so we, I got my gun loaded, and I went, well, it is loaded, so if they break into my house, it's, it's already loaded, but uh, and so, and it's, I don't have to fumble around with it. I can pull it, you know, and it can happen pretty quick. But anyhow, I open the door. She opens the door. She called a neighbor, too. Neighbors. 
you know, they like those calls at like one o'clock in the morning. And she says, hey, we think somebody might be in the house. Can you just go out in the front yard and see if you can see anything? <laughs> so they walk out, we call and they're going to, patrol's going to come by. And, and uh, finally I said, all right, I'm going out. I take my gun, I walk down the hall. And I'm just telling, saying, hey, if you're in here, I'm going to blow you away. That's how I greeted. I said, I am going to blow you away. And, uh, you know, I'm hoping the, the good Lord above, I don't have to blow anybody away. But I walked down the hall, and the stinking adhesive came off the bell, and it's laying on the floor. You got the neighbor standing in the front yard. The police are on their way. I said, Robin, call the police. Tell them not to come. And uh, so she called them and said, you don't have to come. And they said, okay, we won't come. And the neighbors, I walk out on the porch with my gun. And the neighbors are standing there. And she says, good grief. We could have been shot. And I said, well, (laughs) you weren't in my house, so I won't shoot you out here. But, you know, it's just the things that happen when you get fixated on fear. You do crazy things. You do crazy things. You know, the enemy wants the church to do crazy things. We're living in a day where there's, uh, there's a good, good, good uh, reason for people to be afraid, but not the church. People should be afraid without God, right? I mean, you should. That's healthy. You know, be afraid. You put your hand in the fire. You should be afraid that you're going to get burnt. And if you're living without God, you should be afraid. But there is one who can relieve you of all your fear. And it's the Lord Jesus Christ. And so as the church, we've got to be different from the world. We can't be rushing around doing crazy things for the world to see and then say, hey, look at us. We've got to, you know, sometimes it's just a matter of standing in your salvation. Jesus said that we could stand upon that rock. We could build upon that rock. We don't have to move with the shifting sands. We don't have to be swept away. We stand firmly fixed on that foundation, that rock. How many here know that God is your foundation? And he's not going anywhere. God's not going anywhere. You know, it doesn't matter what happens in your life. That rock is going to be right beneath your feet. He doesn't change. You say, I don't feel him. Well, you know, so what? How many know that feeling is a blessing, but feeling isn't essential to us, right, all the time? You know, sometimes God's just there. Just there. And he's able, you know, he may not say a word, but he's there. And you and I have to, that's that. We have it, you have it on your walls, perhaps. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not unto your own understanding and all your ways. Acknowledge him. And he shall direct your path. You know, how many know that that trust means that when I don't feel it, I don't see it, I don't hear it, I will trust you anyhow. I will trust you because your spirit lives inside of me and that spirit bears witness to me that you are who you say you are and you do what you say you will do. How many know the Holy Spirit in you bears a witness to what God's word says and to what, who God is? Well, anyhow, I'm going to finish here soon. Waiting is an exercise that responds to the promises of God. It's an act of obedience. Psalm 27, 14. What does it say? Wait on the Lord. 
Why? Because he's late? No, because his timing's perfect. Come on, church. We're not waiting on the Lord because he's late. He just knows when things need to happen and he knows how to make them happen. It says, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, and he says it again, wait, I say, on the Lord. How many will say, God, I wanted this yesterday. I haven't seen it yet, but I know your timing is perfect. Come on. I don't know about you. We've gone days without getting mail. I'm talking seven, eight days without mail. I mean, you know what I mean? You know, you know what I mean, right? And uh, I mean, you, 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 I know you know. But it's uh, one of those things that I know that timing isn't right. We went to, and, and I feel sorry for them. I do. They're over, they just are overwhelmed. There's just not enough workers and enough places to fulfill all of the needs that, that need to happen. But I went, when I went in and, and they said, well, the lady that delivers your mouth is on vacation. I'm like, well, isn't there someone else? And, uh, but the thing was, there, we're, we got it for the first time. And sometimes you just wait, and there's, it's just unreasonable. But God is never unreasonable when he says, hey, cool your jets, just wait. Oh, before you run off and you say or do something that's going to cause a mess, and you're going to regret it later, Wait! If you're wore out, you're tired, you don't need to run here, there, and everywhere else to find it. Just sit still and wait in my presence. You know, I've learned something. Uh, You know, when I'm sitting in a traffic delay where there's road construction, that's a great time for me to turn my, you know, you know, what are these idiots doing? Oh, Lord, I love you. Help me today. Just be with me today. Speak into my life. And, you know, you'd be amazed how fast those delays go when you turn it that way. You say, oh, he's so sinful. He calls people idiots. Hey, there's a really good one. I was pulling out, going to a minister's meeting, and I'm I'm trying to pull out, and this car is putzing down the road, and I said, come on. You know, I didn't do anything that they saw. But my, my wife says they can't hear you. But I, you know, I, I, I sit there and I say, I hope this idiot hurries up. She rode by. It was my daughter. <laughs> I mean, I did. She rode by and I'm like, hey, I know that idiot. <laughs> and uh, so anyhow, it was interesting. I looked at her totally different when we both got in a parking lot and got out of the car. It had been revealed to me that she was an idiot. And, uh, for it is the perfect place. Waiting is a perfect place for renewal. Isaiah 40, 31, it says, But those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. How many could have a, would like to get a dose of strength in your spirit, a jolt in your step? You know, oh, you know, life's so bad. We're not victims. Come on, church. We are not victims. We are overcomers. Come on. That's the first step to, to walking in it. You've got to say, hey, that's who I am. It's not, you know, this it, it sounds good, but it's not, you know, it doesn't really work that way. When you live that kind of life that tells people that this is what I profess, but it doesn't really work, why in the world would they want it? 
You know, they don't want that. They want to see something that actually works as fruit producing. And, you know, we have such a great opportunity for them to actually see that God, when we get weary, if we wait in the presence of God, no matter where that is or how that takes place, that he says in his word, he shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not And they shall walk and not faint. You know, this is a marathon, not a sprint. And God gives us what we need. Now, I'm almost done here. I said I was finishing. This is the second one. Uh, God's details are critical in the execution of a plan. We don't move in our timing. We wait on him. We wait on his direction. We wait on his timing. Sometimes in our natural impulses, we just run and step forward. Maybe we're even well-meaning. And God says, no, the time is not right. Stay your place and keep your lips closed. And then God will give us that appointed time. You know, Joshua in chapter 6 is an example. He was told how the people, the priests were to march around the city of Jericho. And that, and, but on, and blow their trumpets, but on the or walk around at one time a day. But, and on the seventh day, they were to sound the trumpets. And they, at the appointed time, the people were to let out shouts. You know, you know, Joshua had to wait. Maybe in his spirit, he says, can't we do this on day one? I want to get this done now, Lord. Why are we waiting to day seven to do this? You know, because you know why we do those things that God uh, does, tells us to do and the timing he tells us to do is because he's omnipresent, omniscient. He's omniscient, omnipotent. And what's the other one? What did I say? All-knowing, all-powerful, all-present. Yeah. He knows it all. How many here will give the devil a little hint? Can you say, God knows it all? God knows it all. How many of you know it's just smart to walk in, the, in the, his timing to do things his way, even if he says, slow down, stop for a period, don't rush across the Red Sea, I'm going to make a way for them. You don't, you're not gonna, you don't need to rush out there and drown. That's what's going to happen to them. I'm going to open a way for you, but you just stand still and you wait and I'm going to open those waters and then you walk through them. Don't jive in there now. The time will come when you, you know, no, you don't do all this on the first day. You do it on the seventh day. And I know there's uh, all kinds of studies as to why seven is significant, and probably so. But either any way you look at it, God said, don't, don't do this till the seventh day. When they blow those trumpets at the appointed time and you hear the trumpet of God, and you shout, and those walls will come down. How many know that those walls did come down. That's a great thing, right? Jesus tarried in the wilderness for 40 days. You know, I know we talked about fasting and prayer, but Jesus tarried there for 40 days. He took 40 days. He, he took a, a, a he, well, he didn't, but he took, a pen, he took a pen and marked across his date book, I will be away for 40 days. Don't disturb me. You know, people say, oh, what a waste of time. He's out there enjoying the high life in the wilderness with the lizards and the, 
and the crocus. I don't, I don't know crocuses. I don't even know what a crocus is. That's not an animal, right? That's a plant. But uh, the, uh, it sounded like something that w- once was living and now is dead. But um, he took that time, 40 days, set it aside. You know, you and I have to be intentional and set some time aside and say, hey, I, I got a date with God. What are you going to meet with him about? I don't know, whatever he wants to meet about. He sets the agenda. Anyhow, followers of Christ were directed to tarry in Jerusalem, Acts 1, Acts 1 and then Luke chapter 24. I think verse 49. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still, what? And know that I am God. Be still. Be still. Yes, sometimes when we pray individually and corporately, we can't stand it when it's quiet. Oh, I've got to be doing something, God. I've got to give them a discourse on something. Come on, Lord. Just give me, let me go. I'm just, I feel like in my, ooh, I'm, you got me to this point, Lord. I'm so excited. I just want to, and he says, no, be still. I'm the one doing this. How many know God runs the show? No man runs the show. I can tell you, this man don't run the show. And I know that's probably not good English, but I'm from southwestern Pennsylvania. Uh, 46.10, Psalm, be still and know that I am God. I'm going to ask Tammy to come. Psalm 23.2, and whoever, uh, the team, uh, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. How many of you have ever made your kids take a nap? Anybody? Anybody? Yeah, well, we don't do that anymore. It's against the law. Enforced naps. You can't do that. I got to tell you, when I was a kid, my mom and dad said, lay down. We're taking a Sunday afternoon nap. The, you know, one of the things that uh, at times turned out to be a pretty good sleep aid was my dad's belt. <laughs> Not only did they make me lay down and go to sleep, if I didn't, he gave me a sleep aid. Psalm 23, 2, he says, he makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Psalm 23, 2. Psalm 40, verses 1 through 3. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he directed me, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. You know, in addition to all that, he brought me up out of a horrible pit out of a miry clay and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. You know, the, uh, I, the word in, in Scripture that, means, uh, that speaks to the idea of waiting means to wait with anticipation, hopefully watching for God to act. I want to ask you this morning, if you wouldn't mind standing with me, if you would. You know, waiting, David waited. How many know that David waited for 20 years? From the time he was anointed until the time he became the king over all of Israel. All Israel, not just portions of it, not just Judah, but all of it. And you know, during that 20 years, he had a lot of opportunities to act impulsively to do something that would have really messed things up, and yet he didn't. He didn't. 
And you know, today, I want to ask you, uh, you know, maybe, maybe there's a storm in your life, you know? I think it's safe to assume that there's storms in this room. There's uh, things, you know, people ask you how you're doing, and you say, oh, I'm doing great. But you're not really doing great. You know, we sometimes shame people because they answer honestly, and I don't like that. Oh, don't confess that. You know, I've shared that with you. I was sick one time, and my landlord came out, and uh, said, oh, how, how you doing? I said, you know, I'm really sick. And she says, oh, don't confess that. And I thought, and I did, honestly, I thought this. It was one of the most ungodly things I've ever thought. I, just, I said, if I throw up on your shoes, I'll tell you not to confess that either. Because it's not really there. You know, this morning, if you have a storm in your life, Oh, I believe in a confession, believe me. I, I believe we need to speak over sickness and, and all of the things that, the, that, that come against. I believe that, but I gotta tell you, there's no sin in acknowledging that I'm sick and I need, because what's the scripture says? say? If there's any sick among you, let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord, and the, and the Lord shall raise him up well why would we put that in the scripture if no one's going to acknowledge being sick kind of stupid and so this morning if you're here in this house and you're you're struggling with something in your life and there's a storm i i and you know our amy and our prayer team and all of those who are here pat others uh, would be happy to just take a few moments and pray with you before you go you know, I, I realize we have concerns about COVID. I'm going to tell you, I've, I've been so many places and around so many people. And, you know, I've had to worry, say, hey, am I allowed? Should I? Should I not? You know, I, w- I went to your apple harvest. First time in eight years, went to the apple harvest. I got to tell you, I don't think anybody was concerned about COVID. Why should we as the church of the living God be fearful of what the world says, I'm not afraid of. You know, oh, oh, well, don't, don't, don't pray with me, but make me, give me an extra slab of those ribs you just sneezed on. <laughs> I don't know if they sneezed on. They might have, who knows? You're eating it, you don't know what they did, right? Because you don't care, you just want the ribs. I want to ask you this morning, you say, I want God to meet me. I want God to meet me. I'm in a storm right now. And I just want to take a moment and say, God, I'm going to step off that path just into this shelter today. And I'm going to let someone pray with me. You don't have to come up. You you can be prayed for right where you are. But I want to tell you, we're not afraid to pray with you. And uh, I don't think God wants us to be afraid because he wants to disarm the church from its ability to pray for each other. You know, yeah, we got to use wisdom and be considerate. You know, we, we, we need to be considerate. And it's a real thing. There are people in this room who have been very sick, very sick. And I don't take that lightly. People have died from, from it. You can say, well, they had other things. Some, some did not. Some did not. 
So I'm not one of these ones who's going to stand and go off on why we should do this or not do that. All I'm going to say is, uh, you know, I, I came to church. If I was a mechanic and you had a car problem, I could talk, to, and if I knew anything about cars, which I know nothing, but if I did, I could talk to you. You would come to me because you would expect that I know something about cars. We don't have anything like that to offer you here today, but we have Jesus. Silver and gold we don't have, right? But such as we have, we give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. What do you think would have happened in the day that Peter and John went to the temple daily to pray had COVID come? Would they have stopped praying for people? Would they have stopped believing for miracles with people? Because, you know, there was a, a, a reason not to. And I want to just say to you today, I'm not trying to manipulate. I'm not. I just want you to be free. That's all. You're free that if you stay where you are, God can meet you right where you're standing. But if you want to come to this altar and we'd love to pray with you, we're here to do that. And, uh, you know, so Tammy, if you would lead us, if you're here and you would, you're, you're in a storm, we'd just like to take a moment of shelter with you and encourage you as that storm rages in your life. And so, Tammy, as you play, we would invite you if you want to come. But here's what I would ask. If you don't have to leave, if your chicken's not burning in the oven or something's not happening, you don't need to leave, can you just wait for the sake of those who might need prayer and want to step out or, or are praying in the pew where you're at? to just honor what God is doing in their lives. So let's pray. Let's sing and pray. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.